Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of In the Landscape. We're so glad you tuned in to listen to us here on wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I am your host, Kate Sadler, and with me in our home studio is my co-host, Charles Charles Sadler. Good to be here. Our sound editors do an amazing job, especially with our little home setup, uh, as we're still kind of hanging out at home pretty much all the time, just for a while longer yet. And uh, this week, we have Hurricane Hannah sweeping just tendrils over, over this part of Texas. You know, our thoughts are with anybody who's who was directly in its path, but um, there's still a little bit of wild weather out there. So um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there if a thunderclap will make it through. But in case you're wondering, that's what's happening. And the rain doesn't always reach. Like as we're developing our practice in Texas, we'll travel. Sometimes we go to other cities, but other times it's like within an hour or so of our home. And so some of those regions, when you get into the upland area toward Austin, the rain it, it gets ra- rained on here. But it's dry there. Yeah. It's and I'll even mention, yeah. like, the people say, oh, we really need the rain. And I'll say, really, you didn't have any rain? They said, we just a touch of rain. We're here. It's the downpour. Yeah. I mean, having grown up in the, in the Bay Area, I understand microclimates. <laughs> so you can have, you know, you can have that weather acting in interesting ways in certain places. And then, or, or temperatures or, you know, fog. And, and so getting to know your, your, Local landscape really well is is a nice experience. I should say our landscape because um, we've been here intensively the last several months, and uh, it's been an opportunity an opportunity to really get to know our our region. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think I mentioned that before in a previous a previous episode. But we're still here. So today's episode is all about renovation, restoration, dare I say rejuvenation. (laughs) Take a nice deep breath in and out (laughs) because we're going to be all about the restorative. Now we've talked about the restorative power of nature in a Mm -hmm. a previous episode. We've even touched on the different kinds of restoration. So you have the standards that we talked about in one episode set by the Department of the Interior National Park Service because they're actually dealing with historic landscapes. So there are these different levels of intervention that you can plot. But what we're finding in our own practice is this recurring theme of, you know, it's wonderful to get a commission for a brand new project. So, you know, someone's breaking ground on a new home, so you're sort of designing from scratch. But in, in essence, so much of, so many of our projects are based in this this primary evaluation of what's already there and then deciding, does it need to be remediated? Was there something that went horribly amiss and it, and it needs like honest to goodness, like roots up restoration ecologically, for example, or is it a design that didn't quite get the program right? And, you know, I mean, if you've ever, I'm one of those people who will live in a house for a while after having moved in and then, you know, months later say, wait a minute, this piece of furniture needs to be over here instead. (laughs) And then you do it and you're like, how, why didn't I see that? Like when I first moved in, (laughs) but but until you live in it and bump the same piece of furniture over and over again, you don't quite know. Yeah, we did that 
in our townhouse in Hastings, yes. there was that one sort of middle room between the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And we bought a couch, and then the, I mean, it was a small, the whole house was quite small. It was like from the, was it the early 1800s? Yes. It yeah. was old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there used to be a bakery. So in the basement, there was an old hearth, I oh, remember. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. And there was a storefront. So it was a long, a long, thin property, uh, residence. And it was changing the orientation of the couch. Yeah. I think, remember, yep. then we added another chair. Mm-hmm. And that sort of it made it more cozy. I know. It opens it up somehow in a, in a way that you... But again, the idea being that it's strangely, you now really talented designers such as such as yourself in, in the landscape or or an interior designer, like that is what you pay them for is to get it right at the start. Mm-hmm. Somehow, I shouldn't say somehow because it requires a lot of training and practice and intuition and talent. Like it's not magic, but but they have the ability to assess the program up front and then figure out how things should be placed and what the measurements are that are appropriate for traffic patterns, for example. But if it's just you're a lay person just sort of moving your furniture in your house and you've never had that experience, the same can happen in the garden. And I think it's fair to say that we've been to properties where, you know, the builders had put in some sort of landscape attempt right <laughs> um, there's you know uh, some are better than others but they are they're sort of planting on top of conditions that have been degraded through the process of building in the first place I mean, all, soil is really a underlying uh-huh. no pun intended underlying everything <laughs> literally and philosophically right and that one um fellow tree lover, arbor expert, uh, Duncan Slater, that's in the UK. He did a post recently about yes, soil. So any, any type of evaluation, remediation, are, always includes soil. Mm, and so I'm not, mm. that's not my primary focus, but I know it's vital. And yes. so we do soil tests. There's fellow colleagues that are soil scientists or in the arboriculture field, soil experts. There's James Urban, Jim Urban, who's a landscape architect and an arborist. He's very skilled with soil. And there's, mm. it's called a Dutch auger, where it's a, it's a soil probe, but it has a, a big profile. And so you can do a deep soil profile. So you, like a corkscrew, you go mm-hmm. down and you see what's happening with the soil. Uh, if you can't go down, then it's really compacted. And there's even, there's other tests you can do. So there's ways you can, like a doctor would, mm-hmm. asking lots of questions, doing some basic tests. Well, and, and understanding, because we, we do a lot of, I don't know if you call it advocacy. It's sort of like this underlying philosophy of our practice is related to that concept that plants are living organisms. They're not just pieces of furniture that you kind of set in a landscape and they're static. You know, they they have an, a, an agenda, mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, they have behaviors. And um, the same is true, though, for soil. Soil is a very, like, vibrant living medium. I think we mm-hmm. even do... Uh, have an episode in our back catalog on soil that that we did with with my mom. Oh, right. Who's also a biologist, biology professor (laughs) who talked a little bit about soil. So it's that idea that like soil, I mean, it's it's quite a communal sort of situation where you have different microbes and, and other organisms in there kind of working together to just in an ecosystem in, in, in a community. And, um, to understand the different components of that is important, but I can see how easily it's overlooked because soil 
in some ways, if you're not a soil enthusiast or a soil scientist, I know soil enthusiasts. So I know how excited they get about these mm-hmm. ecosystems. So if you're not, it, there's this perception that it's just dirt. Well, it's just dirt or rocks or clay. There's not like, it's not like shot through with like living, you know, reproducing, decomposing, you know, all these active organic Which can um, be elements. beneficial to plants. The Absolutely. symbiotic relationship, oh, yeah. the different types of fungi, mycorrhiza, there's organisms. If you dig up particular, like it's very easy. It could be uh, like under a, a conifer for a pine tree. Often there's lots of uh, litter from the needles. Mm. You pull that away. You go down a little bit into the soil, and there's these white webs, which is mm-hmm. the mycorrhiza. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, mushrooms. This is beyond my expertise, but but mushrooms are in that same realm. And so, a mushroom is a fruiting body that is connected to this this web. Yeah, and the mycorrhiza, as I understand that, it gets beneficial ingredients from the tree, and then it it in turn helps the tree take up more beneficial nutrients. And so it's it's this mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. And when you have a, a site that's been degraded, the soil you might say it's dead. There's it's not there's not that occurring. Right. So we're always, uh, stay tuned for the end of the episode because we give all of our contact details, but we always welcome, I mean, if we have any environmental scientists listening to us, my mother does listen, so she, <laughs> she may be the one to, to chime in uh, for, for the future. If you ever have comments or corrections, we welcome oh, them because we're always speaking sort of a little bit off the cuff, um, and yet we find the, the field fascinating and we just, we, we kind of want to share our enthusiasm. It and mm-hmm. educate as best we can with the participation of the listening community, wherever you think it might be helpful. So that's soil. So, you know, there can, there can have been ecological interference that may have damaged the soil. There may just in the process of building, but we've talked a lot about construction projects after the fact. So yes, it's this built structure, but then you get, I don't know, something else put in and soil gets compacted. And that's often a really good place to start if we're talking about just pure renovation or rejuvenation. I mean, we've got a few terms floating around here. So what would you suggest is the distinction? So when a when a client needs renovation, which we often ascribe also to pruning versus True restoration. Yeah, that's a good good place to start and to and to differentiate between the two. So, an example, maybe giving examples would be a good way to explain it. So, rest restoration maybe it's the right plant or the right material in the right place, but it's somehow been degraded. It's and it's by our horticultural and design expertise, we determine it's worth putting the effort into it. So, it's worth that it's, it's reasonable through certain processes or steps to restore this hornbeam hedge, what's been, maybe it's been over-mulched, or maybe there's been erosion. And so it's a simple, it might take a while, but you need to add compost because it's been eroded, it's on a slope, and it needs to be uh, thinned out. It's only been pruned with a hedge trimmer, and it's a beautiful seasonal element. It's the, the structure in the garden. So it's sort of a a discernment process. Is it worth the effort? Then we present that to the client. Here's the number of hours, the the labor, the materials, the time. We might say this is going to be like a two-year process. 
And with our experience, this this will be the outcome. It's going to improve it. So well, that would be restoration. And there's almost never a, a wrong time to evaluate whether restoration is appropriate because we have been in situations where the planting and maybe the maintenance practices that were applied to a landscape, like even at the point of planting, something was not quite right. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was twine left and it's girdling the roots Mm -hmm. or uh, we've seen plastic cups that were left behind. I mean, I'm not saying detritus within a hedge is going to necessarily kill it, but you know, maybe it was put in and the irrigation was never adjusted. I mean, things, I hate to say they go downhill quickly, but, you know, it's, it, it can be frustrating to have invested in a design and the installation up front. You expect it to do well. And when it isn't, you know, I mean, we, we experience the frustration when people call us to have us take a look and say right. what's going on. But getting a second opinion, just, you know, just saying up front, like, let's preserve the investment and evaluate it and say, okay, well, what do we need to do to change it? Like right now, this moment. And so it's not to say it's some secret overgrown, you know, garden that you're going <laughs> to restore back to its, you know, Victorian <laughs> splendor or whatever. That would be fantastic. But it's to say that restoration actually is a process that can happen and not just because there were planting errors, but like can happen throughout the lifespan of the garden. Because Mm -hmm. as I said, it isn't furniture or even furniture can fall apart over time. You know, it just requires this kind of investment. So rather than like maintenance, like you just clip the hedges, you know, once a week and that's all the intervention a landscape needs, it constantly needs restoration because it's constantly evolving there's, you know, lifespan to the the plants themselves. And then again, to my point earlier, every once in a while, there is a condition that is is either set up at the time of planting or, or maybe your town put in a new road and somehow the drainage is different. Mm-hmm. And so calling in professional help, a set of eyes that can really see and then, and then fix whatever is going on, I think is so beneficial. And it's such a huge part of the I guess the service we feel we provide, you know, that it's, it's really like, oh, you know, we want this to succeed. We're here to help, you know, which is a nice kind of part of that, that side of the practice. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, maybe there's a perception with design that I sense sometimes that it's like this magical thinking that you create this beautiful design, it's implemented, and then that's it. It's just this incredible, it's, now on, on a piece of paper, it could be this beautiful design beautiful fulfills the program you hang it on your wall but it's this living breathing with there's new insects new diseases there's your neighbor builds a pool and that changes your grading it's more humid where you live it's more it's drier all of a sudden so that you're constantly adjusting like that people often understand like a, a stock portfolio so someone that's managing that they're constantly adjusting they're like this has gone up. Okay, we want to buy more of this or sell some of this. And mm-hmm. oh, this has gone down. There's constant adjusting. It is not this static. You buy these ten stocks and then you never look at it. And a hundred years later, you sell it. That's, I mean, people that do that for a living, they're looking at it weekly, monthly, yearly. You're looking at it very regularly and making adjustments. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what we do well is, and so if no one has been looking at it and making adjustments, mm-hmm. and we come into it. 
It could have been a garden that was planted two years before that could be have horrible problems mm-hmm. because maybe they were planting errors. It was planted too deep, too much mulch or common. The soil's poor, might not have been the right plant. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, it can just be a matter of you think it's going to go one way because believe me, I mean, we've, you know, every once in a while a plant will die. <laughs> like you, it was the right plant for the right place. Something happened or the irrigation was left on longer than we had recommended or whatever. And then you're coming back and saying like, okay, well that didn't work. Let's try again. Like it still is a medium kind of like moving the furniture around. It's just that you're dealing with a living organism. So it is a, it is kind of a medium in which you do kind of have to see what's going to happen. And maybe you prune something and it is an excessively cold winter. And it all of a sudden, even though the, all everything was correct, it didn't make it. So, you know, you only really learn, I think, in this industry slash passion, you know, gardening slash whatever, you only learn by doing. Like, right. the, you've got to be out in it to kind of get the feel for it. So that's fair that, you know, things are going to change over time and they need maybe this once over again to kind of course correct. So how does that differ though from this conception of renovation? A renovation may involve design or it could be pruning or both. And so that people can imagine when you renovate a building, you're not necessarily going to tear down the building. Sometimes you almost, sometimes you tear down almost everything, (laughs) but you're going to leave the uh, one element. So with, with renovation, sometimes that the program has changed. And so we now need, there were young children, there was this beautiful handmade treehouse constructed with found wood. Those children are now grown up and we don't need a, a treehouse in the backyard, but we want a seating wall and a fire pit. And so that would be, it's still the same backyard. The trees might be, those are, the trees are great. The lawn, they still want lawn. So the renovations often, the program has changed. With the restoration, you're somewhat bringing it back to a state it may have been in. Mm-hmm. The renovation, you're really changing. I mean, you see it in, with homes regularly where, particularly in older parts of the U.S., the old program, there were small rooms, mm-hmm. small closets. Mm-hmm. So now people take down walls, you open it up. And with a landscape, Sometimes it's the reverse. You're adding outdoor rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just having a big flowing lawn, we want a shady patio, then we want a dining area. So the, the renovation, the steps sometimes are, are bolder with, re- mm-hmm. with renovation. And mm-hmm. like when we do horticultural renovation, sometimes it's, the steps needed are quite bold, where we say, are, are these plants healthy? They're overgrown. And so the renovation pruning can be reducing and then rejuvenating mm-hmm. what's there. So it's like really structural pruning, thinning. So, you know, talking about the restoration as being almost like a service, renovation is a lot of fun because you kind of get in there and you you get to start something new on a project. We're not starting from scratch, but you're kind of reimagining something based on the feedback of the clients. One of the experiences we have that is a little, it's almost heartbreaking is when the restoration, I guess is the term I'll use, is unplanned. Like it's, well, I mean, I guess it is if there's like poor planting guidelines or something, but, it, but what you're restoring it to is not 
not what you originally had because you can't ever get it back to that state. You can't reclaim what was there. And that can happen if you've encountered some sort of disturbance that just is, you can't be sort of repaired. So you had an experience when you were in graduate school. Oh, right. That was a little bit like this. And so this certainly happens, but there is hope because nature is very persistent. So there may be a way to kind of like get back, get, get to something better than what is being left by whatever's happened. So can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. And I mean, I even use I've, words I've used lately on projects similar to that, where it's, you can't really restore it to what it was, is mm. being, an optim- being optimistic. So nature is incredibly resilient. Mm-hmm. If it's a finite where we have to return it to exactly the way it was, that may not be realistic. It may be mm-hmm. impossible to do mm-hmm. that. And so this was a summer graduate like like work study internship. It was a paid project and I was part of a larger, it was a PhD research project. So it was an industrial site and there was it was no longer it was like a derelict industrial site that was I it was probably thousands of acres. It was quite large. And so there was an industrial process that created a byproduct. Mm-hmm. And so the byproduct had sodium in it, more or less. So it's this landscape that is full of salt all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> and I think actually, coincidentally, there were underground salt springs also. Mm-hmm. So the site in this region, it also was salty, but this which didn't have to do with the process. I was just like a coincidence, I believe. They have this very salty site. And so what do you get? And it's a disturbed site. And so a term, a green field is something that is like wild nature that's never been, which is very rare, actually. Mm. A brown field is a site that's had some level of disturbance. So a suburban house, that's a brown field. It's not green. A farmer's field would be a brown field. Then there's brown fields where it's, People often mean it's like very disturbed, like an industrial process. That's also a brownfield. So there were some invasive species that had populated this site. And so those were not beneficial to wildlife. It wasn't, and it's a large site. So you have this, this area, it's not beneficial to the local wildlife. It was not vigorous. So there were big swaths were just sort of gravelly, unappealing there was, there was erosion because there weren't that many plants that could live in this super salty site. So the project was, I can even think of, of all these grasses. So the PhD student selected all these salt-tolerant plants. So many of them were, they would grow in marshes, sand dunes. I think many of them were grasses. And like the names are, are ringing in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we created tests of, it was a planting research project, and we had a template that was, was it six feet by six feet, I'm going to guess, and we laid that on the ground, and then with a tool, we made planting holes, and we had these grasses that were plugs, so it was something you could hold in your, in your hand, and we planted that, and there was watering of them, and then it was an ongoing, it was monitoring which of these salt-tolerant grasses, and there may have been woody plants too. There may have been trees and shrubs, but I can't recall. Uh, so well, isn't that one bayberry? Is that oh, you're right. The right. I just love that because I think it is a salt tolerant plant. You're exactly right. It has that, that gorgeous smell. Yeah, when and, you crush it, oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's I like mean, amazing. I can see being disappointed if, if a site 
isn't able to accommodate the plants that were there, but it's, it is kind of exciting to think that, you know, there may be plants that, that would thrive mm-hmm. even. And that would be habitat that they were, they wouldn't have necessarily been native to that site, but they would have been native to North America mm-hmm. and they would have many plants as I understand it. Well, most plants don't tolerate salt, like high concentrations. And so that would be true with other disturbed sites. Then there's a smaller group. They will tolerate it, but not like it. And then there are plants that, in a spiritual way, they're like in total acceptance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they tolerate it like a bald cypress. It will grow in standing water. It's it's perfectly, it it accepts it, and it's Mm -hmm. adapted an alternative strategy. And so Mm -hmm. that's what we were using, these salt-tolerant plants. That could be, it would reduce erosion, it create habitat. And so that was an exciting project that opened your eyes to not restoring it to what it was, but it could be beautiful and beneficial. Well, and I think a lot of that is, you know, I mean, we've talked about invasives here. It, a lot of that is what we're faced with in a way. Unfortunately, there are native species that are on the verge of extinction. I think the American elm is one that's mm-hmm. not that you know, you could plant them again and there is still, so the idea is like maybe you could replant the same species and, and it'll get off the ground and it'll be great. But it's really, if it's subjected to the same conditions, it's just going to die from the, I don't know. Pathogens. The, yeah, whatever it is that's killing it. So so then unfortunately, as much as, as one would like to to be able to do that, it's not possible. And so these adaptations kind of have to be, as you said, accepted. And, and then, you know, we do the best we can from there. So it's a balance, you know, it's finding, um, it's encouraging the use of natives where possible. It's going after invasive species where they're cropping up in, in terrible numbers. But, um, but you may have to, I suppose, resort to planting something that is as, you know, is as hardy or, or as the invasive so that it can mm-hmm. kind of, because what you want ultimately is not to keep going in and like picking the invasive species out every five seconds, but having something that's going to stand up to it. Right. And maybe as you said, it's not native to that precise location, but it's native to the continent. And at a minimum has kind of like stands up for the other <laughs> natives in the, right. in the garden. It's like a tough, yeah, a tough plant. Just because, as you've said again, like if you want to, if you want to kind of minimize the amount of mulch you're using, you plant plants that are eventually going to shade out the weeds, and it's not mm-hmm. this constant battle. You know, you, you're trying to get back to a place of equilibrium, maybe right. not back to the original equilibrium, but to a new equilibrium. That's a really good, yeah. Which somehow I can goal. relate to in the time that we're facing right now, right? <laughs> and it's projecting like what could could create an equilibrium. And that there's all different levels of intervention, too, of selecting plants that 100% accept the current conditions. If it's a site somehow degraded, I mean, it could be, I remember one graduate professor saying, when you see, I mean, I've been a golf lover. I don't play golf really currently, but when you see a putting green, the amount of chemicals and intervention, that's like a horrible, disturbing brownfield. So it. It, it could look perfectly beautiful, depending what your definition of beautiful is, and it could be very degraded. Mm-hmm. So there's different levels of intervention. And so when we work with clients, whether it's design role, consulting arborists and all shades, we often present that like 
we could bring in tractor trailers of mulch and topsoil, and then that would be an intervention, and there could be erosion control put in and new plants. That would be like pretty intensive mm-hmm. pro, you know, process. Or we could plant, I mean, it's probably a shorter list of plants, but plant things that can live 100% with the current conditions mm-hmm. without big interventions. Yeah. And so they might not be as beautiful to certain people. It might be a scrappier plant. And then it can be nuanced. So on some of these larger projects, there's areas where maybe there are more interventions made with soil and, and water. And then other areas, it's we're going to overplant it. But we're not going to do soil or other remediations. And half of them may die, but but half of these trees and shrubs will take. And and that's a reasonable approach using mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. seedlings. Yeah, you know, I think you sometimes actually see that out in the world. Like sometimes you're driving by and you see a little group of protected seedlings and they're trying to do erosion control or something. And they've planted them. And they being, I guess, like civic landscape designers. Like Department of like Transportation. Yeah, yeah. That's a program I see along the Texas highways. Things are very, there's far reforestry going on mm-hmm. where it's very dense overplanting. And with the idea, the plants protect each other. So mm-hmm. they grow up, they have wind protection. And it's quite, there's a prevailing wind in like Southern Texas. So there's parks we like frequenting and there'll be reasonably good sized trees. So it's 15, 18 feet tall. That's a new planting. And it's just getting battered, mm. you know, and it, mm-hmm. it looks pretty, and it was pretty expensive, you know, mm-hmm. where in a park that's well-programmed, maybe that is the approach. Like, it's not a condition where you're going to have 10 seedlings in that spot and it's going to be fenced off. It might, that might not be acceptable, right. but if it's like a highway condition, there can be miles and miles where you have thousands of young trees, which are very inexpensive, easy to plant, and they will grow up and they'll produce a hedgerow. It's not going to be a fine, precise appearance, but it'll but the program of like a windscreen, shading, remediating pollution, mm-hmm. they, they can do that. So that's kind of the spectrum that we think about when we think about these concepts of renovation and restoration and ultimately with the goal of rejuvenation. <laughs> I don't know where that word crept in, but I like it. Um, you know, that that calming feeling of restoring something to the equilibrium or balance or, or, or having it suit the program in an appropriate, in a balanced way. You know, it's mm-hmm. really, there's something special in that. So was there anything else on this topic that you wanted to cover in today's episode? Well, let's see. My goal when I meet with clients is to get to that level, that peaceful, sustainable level. And sometimes there's a lot of interventions in the front. It could be sustained. What I would discourage is, is continual interventions, like where mm-hmm. I mean, that's to me, it's like fighting nature, really. So encouraging. Sometimes it's like redefining what's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like your, your, the client's conception of beautiful might, might be nar- narrow. Say, well, if we open that up a little, it's going to be less interventions. Sometimes stopping, so like stopping mowing the grass or mowing it higher or, so there's certain things, sometimes it's, it's seizing to cause mm-hmm. like, but maybe there's harm being done that's not even, you're not, people are not even aware of. Right. Sometimes it's stopping doing something and nature will recover. Like a, I remember an example, 
on shorelines if there's grass near it. So there's going to be naturally occurring wetland grasses eventually that will grow on the edge of the shoreline. And if those are all mown down and there's wave action or whatever kind of body of water, there's going to be erosion. And that simple intervention of stopping mowing activity, a buffer along the edge, those grasses are going to stand up to the waves. It's going to stop erosion. That's something very, very simple. Or big historic shade trees mulching underneath them, like under the drip line, which could be, might be 60 feet of mulch. And so it's that kind of fit the program? Maybe, maybe not. It's going to extend the life of the tree. You're not going to need to mow that. And it's, it's sort of educating the client that the tree is so important. Well, we could take this right. If you keep scalping the grass underneath mm. it, it's a lot of labor. It degrades the tree over time. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, shifting, I guess, through education, I think it's going to look different, but these are going to be all the benefits. Right. And that's often a negotiation. The clients say, well, I can live with this. I can't live with that. Right, right. And that's up to the client, of course, ultimately. And sometimes people have to sort of sit with what we suggest sometimes is it's like a radical restructuring of what Mm -hmm. they're used to. And so sometimes it takes months or years for them to say, oh, you know, I think I am ready to do that. I want the benefits. I know it's going to look different, but the plants will be healthier. And and I want this beautiful landscape. And that's a way to get it. Well, I think that's part of the evolution of the industry itself, you know, the changing of, do we, do we need large lawns? Is there, or how are we dealing with climate change? Should we be using these garden spaces for more food production? I mean, mm-hmm. this changing of our perception of what the garden or what the landscape even is, is kind of a, a neat thing to see unfold on an industry level. And right. so there's, there's a lot of progression there as well. So we're getting to the end of this episode. What would be some principle that we can take with us from this this week's episode? Well, assessment. We really spend quite a bit of time on that with a new project, a new client, or it could be an existing client, existing project where we're called in, you know, for a follow-up. I mean, maybe like a detective, there's what appears to, it appears to be obvious. Sometimes it is, it's often not. So there might be a problem. And the cause could be quite buried. So it may appear, oh, this is the problem. This is the solution. And so we really try to tease out and discern and assess it may be an underlying problem. Mm-hmm. So instead of putting out more or less fires, like correcting it, the one approach is really to step back, assess, it, was there a disturbance on an adjacent property? You know, like what is, the, what is the root of the problem? And I often call on other professionals, do research. If you don't find the root of the problem, it'll continue. And sometimes it's it's often not obvious. (laughs) Great. All right. Well, that's about all we have time for this week. We hope we've provided you with a a little bit of useful information for your own practices in the landscape. And we'll be on deck for another episode next week and hope you join us then. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full-service landscape design, care, and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. 
We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details, and also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.